Well, this morning, um, I'm glad to be able to introduce to you uh, Pastor Dave Bricky. Dave is the uh, lead pastor at Church of the Open Door here in the Twin Cities, and uh, he has such a heart, um, and he would say, I know, although he doesn't know many of you, he has such a heart for you. Um, and, and, and when he's here, I just, I, just feel this, uh, <laughs> I just feel this encouragement. And so I hope that you feel that today too. So would you welcome with me to the stage, um, Pastor David Bricky. Thanks, brother. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Hey, you guys are being bashful today. I know, I know it's Minnesota winters. I, this is the second year that I get to hang out with you all. How many of you were here last year? You, when I was here, you even remember? Maybe not. Um, but I feel a little bit more connected to you now. I came out the first time last year more out of curiosity. But now there is a sense of like something that God is doing here that I just want to connect with whenever I'm invited. To the point that I even brought some friends with me. Um, so two of my daughters are here, Ava and Sophie, and then two of our pastors, Rose and Katie, are here. It's Rose's birthday today, and she decided to spend the morning with you. Um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I, I want you to know this, though, um, that my wife, Stephanie, is, is praying for you this morning as well. She's not here with us today, but you just got to know, as a family, we're, we're holding you as a, in, in this morning in prayer. And I just want to be clear as we just, as we start, as I start this, I have 26 minutes and 20 seconds. Now, first off, I want to say I always preach 25 minute messages. And so, why are they laughing? Um, not really. But so today I am going to get right to the point, but I just want to be clear. My heart in being with you uh, is to just join in on what God is already doing to not try to do anything myself. In fact, part of my goal is just to get out of the way. The presence of God is not some fairy tale. It's not something just caught um, in scripture a long time ago, but the presence of God is actually in our midst. And not just in a space like this, but when you leave here, God's presence is with you. And so I, my hope, my hope is that you don't see me but in, in the words of the psalmist in Psalms 34, that we would together taste and see that the Lord is good. And that is, I'm going to share with you a story from Mark chapter 5. So if you have Bibles, you can turn there. It's not going to be, nothing's going to be on the screen. So you're not going to be able to follow along if you don't have a Bible. Pull it up on your phone if you want to. But the, as I pl planned that a long time ago for this, but as I prayed for you today and what God is doing in this school, Psalms 34 that we would taste and see that the Lord is good. And I hope by the end of this, there'll be a renewed sort of understanding or a lens. If, if your eyes have grown dull to the beauty of the presence of God, that you would wake up this morning, that every breath we breathe, every step we take is a miracle given by the living God who doesn't want to live at a distance just throwing breath at us or throwing blessings to us, but actually wants to be so deeply connected to you. It's like your hearts are connected to each other and those blessings are flowing directly from the heart of God to each one of you. And so I better get into this if I'm going to stick to the time. Um, and so Psalms 34, uh, and that's verse 8. And what we're going to do today is uh, I actually am going to do something you probably won't remember this, but last time I was here, I ended 
with a way of explaining God's pursuit of us. And I know you've been talking about withness, with each other and with God. There's a way I explained it last time. I want to start this time with that way. And, and here it is. If this is God and this is us, we have a functional understanding that when we turn our back on God, and all throughout the day, there's little moments and big moments where we turn our back on God. And, and throughout the course of our life, there can even be seasons where we feel like I've turned my back on God. And our, our functional way of thinking about this, okay, turn our back on God. And as we move further away from God, there is this sense that if we turn towards God, how many of you remember this? We turn towards God and we're like, how in the world do I get back there where I was? How do I get from point A to point B? And that understanding of God is actually not in the Bible. The understanding of God in the Bible is the understanding of pursuit. And my imagination for this time together today is that, and I know you have these chapels all the time, but I'm talking about today that God put a big roadblock in front of your busy day with all the stuff and school and friends and everything going on in your mind just to, just to get your attention to say the living God is pursuing you. The story of pursuit is this. It doesn't matter if it's in a moment during a day, if it's for a whole season of life, but when we turn our back on God, here's what pursuit looks like. And so when we turn back towards God, we realize God's been there the whole time. Our faith is not marked by your pursuit of God as much as it is God's pursuit of you. So I don't care how far away you feel from God. It's just, it's just right in front of you. And so this story, it's a story in, uh, in Mark chapter five, verses 24 through 34, and there's all sorts of illusions that God is distant built into this story. And I, I wanna start this story before I get into it like this and tell a, um, a story of one of my daughters. So two of my daughters are here. I have another daughter, a, a younger one, and then a, a son as well. And, um, and this was when my youngest daughter was five years old. Um, it'll set up this story nicely. Uh, her name is Cammie. And she's got a fire inside of her soul. And the story goes like this, as told through the lens of my neighbor friends. Cammie is at their house, and they are um, eating a meal together, all these little kids from the neighborhood, and one boy was visiting our neighbors, and they're all sitting at the table, and Cammie, her little heart is just, she probably had a princess dress on, her little heart is just, just filled up, and she just stops and names what's in her mind. How many of you do that? You just, what's in your mind, you just say it. Anybody? Some of you. And some of you are like, please stop. I like it, though. Um, Cammie just looks, she just stops everybody, looks at him and says, look at us, a table of princes and princesses, something to that, that effect. And this little boy who was visiting, God bless his soul, he's 10 years old, she's five. He looks at her and says, you're not a princess. And Cammie, and this is through the lens of our neighbor, who said, Cammie stood on her chair and said, I am God's princess. <laughs> And, and, the, and then the little boy looked at her, the not so little boy to her looked at her and said, you're not God's princess, God's not real. And she said, oh yeah, who made all this? Tell me, the trees, the sky, who made all this? She actually pushed him down and he ran away. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't the first time she did that. And I gotta say, I don't promote violence 
but I was a proud dad that day. <laughs> proud dad, little five-year-old Cammy pushing down a 10-year-old boy, that's my girl. <laughs> Here's why I wanted to share that with you today. When we're young, we are, we do experience what I like to call self-fulfilling prophecies. Here's what that means. If somebody calls you stupid when you're young, you believe it. Some of you might remember my story from last year. I was born blind, had a lot of learning disabilities growing up, and I had a teacher in front of the class say, what are you, stupid? And it took years to untangle that mess in my heart. But also self-fulfilling prophecies. When, when you are told and somebody really believes that you are a child of God, you are royalty, you are a son or daughter of the king, you are a prince or a princess. As a child, what do you think? You think what Cammie thought. I'm a princess. And in my mind, I love seeing that in her because I know as she gets older, all hell will break loose to destroy that truth in her life. That idea that I'm God's princess, she's going to need that fire inside of her soul to cling to that truth when she's in her teenage years, which she is now, when she's in her 20s, when she's in her 30s, and beyond. Because the things in this world are going to war at that truth. The world, the flesh, and the Satan himself. She's going to need that fire inside of her. And so my imagination in praying for you today is this. That for some of you, that truth has been stolen. Or that truth, at the very least, is being threatened inside of you. You've taken all sorts of identities on. And maybe you're sitting here today and you'll say, I'm, I'm depressed. Maybe, you're, maybe you'll, you'll actually use these words. I'm, I am a mess. I am addicted. I am lustful. I am unfaithful. I am, and you use those words and it's a lie. You've assigned, your, you assigned yourself an identity God never assigned you. And it's even a correction of language. You might struggle with those things, but it is not who you are. And so let's jump into this story. In this story, for the sake of time, I'm gonna break it down into three words. The first word is blood, the second word is tassels, and the third word is daughter. And it's in Mark chapter five, and, uh, and tw- starting in verse 24, it says there was a large crowd following and pressed around Jesus, around him, and a woman was there who was subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So here's how the story begins. Are you with me this morning? Yeah, okay. Um, There's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. This is actually a physical, religious, and social issue. It's a physical issue because she's bleeding and she spent everything she had on doctors. She's broke. She is sick and she's broke. But this is also, in a sense, a religious uh, issue because this woman was told she can't go to the temple. She's unclean. And in those days, if you had a disease like this, it was because of, they believed, some sin in your life. There's something you've done that has caused that. Can you imagine being sick, even born with something? And they would believe in those days. There was this, this, this line of belief that said, oh, it must be your parents who have sinned. That's why you have that sickness. So you're unclean. You can't come near the temple. Here's the problem. The temple was the place that represented the presence of God. So reverberating in her brain because of this cultural idea was this. You are far from God. 
you are far from God. That is something that she would have taken on at a soul level. It's not about the outward sickness, but on a, your soul is sick. You're far from God. But it's also a social issue. Um, she couldn't marry. She couldn't bear tr- children. Um, she had to live in, in isolation. And the thing about isolation, some of you know this because you, maybe you are isolated today even though you're surrounded by a group of people. You feel alone. Um, isolation magnifies pain. In fact, trauma is born when our pain doesn't find a relational home. And if you could imagine this woman's trauma for 12 years having to live in isolation, her pain is magnified. She's far from God according to the world's standards. And it was also a social issue um, in that way. And then here it says that she was it just shows how desperate she was because it said she endured much at the hands of many physicians. Now, what's interesting, when we think doctors, we think doctors are trying to cure you. And I think maybe doctors were trying to cure her then. But in those days, um, doctors many times would actually trade biological understanding for like superstition. So think like magic and spells and things like that. Um, there's actually writings that point to what this woman probably went through at the hands of doctors. It said she suffered at the hands of doctors. And the Babylonian Talmud, which was at the time of Jesus, lists about 11 treatments they would give women who are, who are dealing with this type of bleeding. And one of those treatments, just so you know how bizarre this was, one of those treatments was this. A woman would go fetch barley grain found in the dung of a white mule. And she would hold it. And if she holds it for three days, the bleeding would cease. Can you imagine you're holding poop for three days and the bleeding's supposed to cease? I mean, this is, she's so desperate, she's trying anything. And there's one treatment that says she may be told to sit at a crossroads holding a cup of wine. And then someone will come behind her and frighten her shouting, cease your discharge! And it's just supposed to stop. This isn't medicine. This is like witchcraft. This is, can you imagine the trauma and how it's even running deeper that all these spells and things she's trying to do. It's just not working. She's wasting all of her money on it. That was this woman. Now, um, we're going to move to the word tassels. Blood, now to tassels. Verse 27 through 28. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. You picture this woman desperate to do anything to be healed. I'll do anything. And in Matthew 9, 20, it's the same story. Here's what it says. It says that she came up behind him and she touched the border of his cloak. Everybody say border. Border. Sometimes the English language breaks down, just like any language when we try to translate. That word border actually means tassel. Um, So the border of his cloak, it means tassel. And as a Torah-believing, observing rabbi, Jesus would have worn a kind of prayer shawl some kind of prayer shawl, probably a simple prayer shawl, just knowing a little bit about Jesus from his biographies and scripture. But why did she touch the border, the tassel of his prayer shawl? Why would she have done that? Well, if you go all the way back into the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament in the book of Numbers, there's actually this vision around those tassels that the law of Moses, the Mosaic law, required that these tassels would be worn um, as a reminder of God's commands. 
And you read it in there. So these tassels, when you know, priests and religious leaders wore them at the end of their prayer shawl, they actually reminded, this is a command of God and I have a physical reminder woven into my clothing. But there's something else. That word in the Hebrew scriptures is the word kanaf in, in numbers. But if you move over to Malachi, there's this famous prophecy about the coming Messiah. When the people are oppressed and they're pushed down, there will be a Messiah that comes that conquers evil. And inside that famous prophecy in Malachi 4, 1 through 2, um, it says that there will be healing in this Messiah's wings. Have you ever read this verse before? There will be, in some translations, if you look it up, it'll say there will be healing in his rays. That makes you think like marble, like rays, like that. But the word actually translates kanaf, tassels. And so they actually had a, this is a famous prophecy, and this was a Jewish woman. She actually believed that in the hem of his garment, on these tassels, any Jewish person of that day would believe that if that's actually the Messiah, healing is found there in that cloth. And, and if that idea is in your mind and you're suffering like her, what are you gonna do? You're gonna do everything just to touch a tassel. You've tried everything else. Why wouldn't a tassel heal me? And if it doesn't, I don't lose anything necessarily. And then, um, so she pushed she push through the lies in this moment. And in a sense, what she was doing is she was pushing through this crowd that she wasn't allowed in. And she touched the tassel of Jesus' robe. She was declaring Jesus is the Messiah. In other words, she's saying, you're my savior. You're my savior. And then we move on to the next part, the third word, daughter. In this part, We'll bring it all together here. Immediately her bleeding stopped when she touched this tassel. And she felt in her whole body that she was freed from suffering. And at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You gotta imagine what she's thinking here. We'll get into that in a moment. You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. Why, why was she afraid here? She was afraid here because she actually was not allowed to be in a crowd. She was not allowed to touch another person. She definitely wasn't allowed to touch a rabbi. So when she's going through this crowd, she is pushing through the lies that you're far from God. She doesn't even know the truth yet. She touches the hem of his garment. She, in her mind, is risking her life. She doesn't want to get caught. She wants to touch the tassel and she wants to leave. But what happens there? Jesus notices power come and he, he actually turns, who touched me? Now the woman knows what? She's, she's caught. She's caught. And in, when Jesus turns towards her, it says she's trembling. What do you think she pictured in the face of Jesus? What do you think when, she, when Jesus turned towards her, what do you think she thought she would see? You can talk back to me here. Rage, yeah. Like maybe she's gonna get stoned. So she's trembling in fear. And when Jesus turns towards her, um, and, and I'll, I'll just pause for a moment. What you picture, when you picture the face of Jesus, it really matters. And for some of you, if you were to right now imagine the face of Jesus, maybe you imagine a disappointed face. Or maybe you imagine anger, or maybe you just imagine just like, just like hands off, like 
distant from you. But what does this woman see when she sees the face of Jesus? Jesus says to her, the very first word he says, daughter. And in a sense, this was a public adoption. This was a moment where Jesus spoke out one word that began to destroy all the lies that she bottled up in the inside. He publicly adopted her in that moment and and did something that was utterly unexpected by the crowd, but especially this woman, daughter. And then he said, your faith has healed you. Not your tassel, not my tassels. Your faith has healed you. Your hunch is right. I am the Messiah. I am your savior. God isn't in a temple. Shut out that you're far away from. God is standing right before you right now. You're not far away. And then he said this, go in peace, shalom. You are freed from your suffering. And listen to this. This piece here where Jesus says go in peace is fascinating to me because shalom is not the absence of internal or external suffering. Shalom is in a sense, a deep sense of wholeness and harmony with God. And it makes sense to me that Jesus would turn towards her and enter into her story, not just send her away with a healing, power went out of me, she went away healed. No, Jesus wants to be a part of her story because what Jesus wants to do, and we see this in scripture, so I'm not making this up, like a physical healing isn't the point. That's a pointer. What Jesus wants to do more than the physical healing is heal this woman's soul, heal her identity. And so Jesus sends her away in peace and he's after this healing that's much deeper. And I think about us in this room and the healing that God longs to have for us and there's a truth here. There's a truth that this woman had courage and, and, and that she moved towards Jesus. But, but Jesus actually crossed the furthest distance towards her. What actually happened was this. As she thought she was far from God, like, God, where are you? All she had to do was turn around and realize culture said she was far away. Religion said she was far away. Her own soul said she was far away, but God said something different. And so today, I, um, I'm gonna end with a bizarre image that came to my mind when I thought about this gathering today. And it, and it starts with a story. My, um, so all my children are basically teenagers. My son is 12 and I adore them. Stephanie and I, you know, we love family time and sometimes we'll get away, but something really strange happened in our life not too long ago, um, and it was all of our kids went to a youth retreat together in the fall at the same time. And Stephanie and I realized that in the course of our marriage, because they're all so close in age, they had never all been gone at the same time before. You know, one would be in elementary school, one's going on this retreat, one's going on this, at this camp, but never all at the same time. We're sitting in the car going, what are we gonna do? And so we like food. Anybody else like food? I, I'm unashamed, I like it. I can be an emotional eater, God is working on me on that. I really believe that if it's a bad day, I can make it better with food. If it's a great day, celebrate with food. If it's an okay day, make it better with And I know, that, that's part of my formation. I'm, I need to grow at that. But Stephanie and I decided there's a restaurant that we really wanna go to. It's called Young Joni, it's in the Twin Cities. We've read about it and it has a three month waiting list. But we decided we're gonna go anyway, because what if we can get in? And it took us 20 minutes of waiting, and we got in. And we're eating all this food, and it was a fantastic night, 
But here's the image that came to mind when I was thinking about this together today. What if Stephanie and I were like, you know what? What if I told her just in my, in my brilliance? What if I said, hey, baby, instead of going out to eat, let's just read the menu in the car. Yeah, I actually have a menu I printed out here from the restaurant. Yeah, what if we, and we just sit there in the car? This is, what, this is the image that came to mind. Um, and we're just like, oh my gosh, vegetables. Oh, mm-hmm. Korean sweet potatoes. <gasps> Pickled Fresno. Mm, that sounds really good. Yeah, I bet that is good, honey. And then we keep reading through it. Other delights. The section says other delights. Whole fish. Okay, okay. Pork spare ribs. Can I get an amen? Mm, mm-hmm. Um, they have pizza there. They have like, they have like really good pizza. And uh, it's like um, beef short rib, mozzarella, scallion, arugula, um, sesame, soy, chili, vinaigrette, pizza. And then we put away the menu and we're like, that was amazing. And here's what came to mind. That is how so many of us and so many of you live your faith. You're, you're in this world where you're cramming in your brain so many great ideas about God. And I, I, might, I might be up here and I'm saying stuff like this today and you might, that was a good chapel, it was true. There's some, there's some true stuff that was shared. Yeah, it's, it's accurate. It's true. And we can cram our heads filled with these ideas in the information age. Strong theology, good understanding, learning how to study. Let's figure it out. Let's get it into our Western brains. Let's master it. But that's actually not the point. Sometimes we can make the Bible God. The Bible's not God. It's a foundation for understanding God, but it's a pointer, not the point. And there's so many people, followers of Jesus, who are really content reading the menu about God. Man, that was awesome. Did you hear that talk? Did you hear that? I learned some new stuff today. Cool. Who cares? I mean, the Satan knows it all. The invitation of today is real simple. And this is the bizarre image that came to my mind. This is the invitation. That we would not be people committed to just cramming things in our brain about God, but that we would taste and see that the Lord is good. Some of you have been struggling for too long and you're content, you're like, this must be what Christian life is like. Let's learn more about God. And today, the invitation is far different. You can actually experience, the vision of this chapel is to experience the presence of God in our midst. So when we're singing those songs, God of Revival, I'm thinking, God, will you wake us up to the miracle right in front of our faces. That we would not be content with cute Bible stories from the past, but those sacred stories would be a pointer to the reality of what's here today. Come to the table. Come to the table of the living God. And so here's what I wanna do in my 10 seconds left. Crap. (laughs) Will you stand with me? And if you need to sneak out, go for it. There's no pressure in this moment. Here's what I'd love to encourage you to do in this moment. Modeled after this woman who went after Jesus. And again, if you need to go, it's fine, but um, you can do this on your own too. If you 
want to break through, there's lies that you know you've believed in around your identity and you want to break through those lies today and move towards Jesus as your Messiah. There's nothing magical about moving towards definitely me. But I want to invite you, I just want to pray a 10 second prayer for you. Will you just come out of your seats and, and come up front here? Step of courage, cool. This woman had a lot of courage. It's time sometimes that we just like get over ourselves and move towards the source of life, which again, isn't a magic place up here, but it's Christ. So if that's you, just, we, we're just all gonna pray. God's kingdom to come, will to be done in your life. Can we all just stretch our hands out to our brothers and sisters? Nothing magic in that either. It's just saying we're with you. So God, in Jesus' name, we don't have to manufacture anything. We believe that you're here. May your kingdom come, may your will be done in the hearts and lives of all of us in this room. We are desperate for you, our healer, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I have three cold pizzas up here that you can partake in. For the rest of you, go in grace and peace.